This is just a reminder that all of these episodes of In Search Of with our introductions and everything are available on YouTube if you'd rather watch them than to listen to them. And so I'll have a link in the notes for this podcast to get there to our YouTube channel to watch it. Or you can always do a search on YouTube for Buck Benny and Leonard Nimoy and or In Search Of and you'll probably find them that way too. So anyway, enjoy. Hello again, this is Buck Benny speaking. I'm joined with my friend Jim and my friend Bob, and we are here to talk about Leonard Nimoy and his In Search Of. And this In Search Of is In Search Of Dracula. We've, uh, the last few have been the more realistic sort of things. You know, we have the earthquakes and the bees and all of that kind of stuff. And, uh, and, and we, the one Bob and I just did uh, last week or whatever was the, um, messages from from space and us trying to send messages out in the space and that sort of thing which was the regular scientific ones and then we have these kind of more fanciful ones this is of course about dracula and uh, and about the real dracula which i think is always interesting to talk about as well um what do we think about this episode let's go over to bob first bob what do you what do you think so yeah i mean i was kind of worried it was going to be like they were going to try to say that there was actually Dracula yeah. out there. <laughs> so it was good to see that they were really focused on more of the origin of the character. Yeah. Um, yeah, I was, I was kind of expecting that too. Here we have John Trowler, who's been following uh, the Dracula and believes that he's living <laughs> in the woods with Bigfoot in the Northwest. And, and he's had a team that's been looking for him for the past five years. John, what, what have you found so far? Well, we've found some blood stains on different trees and things we think are coming from the victims. Uh, you know, we, we found two squirrels with strange puncture wounds. We're not sure. <laughs> uh, but, and, and, and we found lots of footprints. Look, look at this footprint right here. Obviously, this is a Dracula footprint, and we see them all over, so they must be everywhere. Because these shoes haven't been made since 1932, when the original Dracula was first seen. So, no, uh, anyway... The, the episode doesn't go there. It, it goes into more of the history. I, I will say this episode had, it. you know, I've watched this one section twice to make, to go, okay, what is the connection? And I'm sure I'm still missing it. You guys are going to go, you're an idiot, Daryl, but you guys do that all the time. So it's okay. But this whole, I can't even remember what the, the person's name is. I want to say it's Boba. <laughs> There's this section that's like towards the beginning that goes all into this, person and i thought okay this person's gonna be they're gonna describe it as as they're kind of a horrible person that ends up going after people's blood or whatever but it really wasn't that it was like they were talking about how he maybe a ghost sort of thing or something but then he just dies i i didn't get there's this whole does anyone know what i'm talking about with that first section or is that totally like it just because it was short and it was like okay why wouldn't you just clip this and say this really doesn't tie into the rest of the episode? But anyway, no one knows. Yeah, no one knows. 
So, so as you're listening to it, listen to it starts with a B, I think it's a boba, boba, boba. I, I don't know what it is. Boba Fett. Yeah, it's, it's boba. Boba Fett. Yeah, yeah. Somehow, somehow it probably tied in in the script, and they did add it tied in somehow. Yeah. Anyway, it, it yeah. it's strange, but then and, and then I didn't know. I felt like they should spend even more time with it's it's Vlad the Impaler would have been spending more time with that. Also, I was thinking too. You know, I have the nickname, you know, I'm Buck Benny and stuff. And we've thought about having should Bob have a nickname. I think Bob should be Bob the Impaler. <laughs> a great nickname for Bob. <laughs> it almost sounds like Vlad. It's got part of there. Bob the Impaler, I think. Yeah, Bob and Vlad. Yeah, they're, they're, they're so similar. They're so similar. <laughs> Most of the letters are the same. And, uh... <laughs> but it just sounded better than Jim the Impaler. It doesn't work as well as Bob the Impaler. So How about not Jim the Impaler? There's just not as much humor in Jim the Impaler for some reason. Bob the Impaler. <laughs> humor, so, so uh, Bob the Impaler, what, what other impressions do you have from the episode? Yeah, I just I like the whole tie-in. I have never seen that whole like film, the one with Nosferatu. Yeah. That's the one. That one looks way more scary. For sure. I think the newer ones are more like they're all fancy, look almost like romantic characters, especially yeah. like in uh, oh, Twilight stuff. Twilight. I mean, they almost become romantic, even though they're. I think that character comes more down to his roots. He's way more sinister. Right. Well, I think somehow in the original Dracula, the first Dracula. I don't know. It wasn't the first Dracula film for sure, but it, the famous Dracula film with Bela Lugosi. I think there was some sexual tension going in there a little bit. And I think they thought, well, that kind of worked. And as they later on, they built that up and built that up the whole sexual. And then the hammer films, always the women that he was uh, attacking or whatever would be this voluptuous women and so forth. And I think they just kind of carried that forward. And, and that's where a lot of the non Dracula, but just vampire films have have dealt have brought out that whole sexualized piece. Certainly, the interview with a vampire and that sort of film has done that. And then, like you're saying, all of that. What series that you're talking about? The Twilight. Twilight. That's right. Yeah. Don't, don't ask me how I know though that I. No, I well, it's, I've, I've never seen a single one, and well, I should know because it's, it's cultural touchstone sort of thing. There were three films, right, and, you know, in the trilogy or whatever. I, I went to Fork or wherever it was supposed to happen one time I drove yeah. through there. That's about as close as I got to it. There you go. There you go. Yeah, I've been there too, and they, you know, trying to play a little bit up on that. <laughs> the home of the vampires or whatever. Uh, uh, yeah, it, and I think that's what the original Las Ratu, obviously, you look at that and you're like, there's no sexual anything here. He's just that dude is spooky. He's scary. He's your nightmare guy. Well, and, and and that one, it looks like you know, there's there's no hiding among us kind of thing where you know, I mean, that, you couldn't see that guy just sitting down at a dinner party with a bunch of people and oh, I'm I'm not this horrible evil monster thing. No, unless, the only way you could play that is if he was some kind of shapeshifter and that was his normal form, but he can take the form of a handsome guy or whatever. I can see that kind of work. That'd be something that. You know, if I was going to redo Dracula or some other version of, of this that I might play with is have him truly be an ugly, terrible, vicious person when he attacks. And so, so you're going to star in it yourself then? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> pretty much. Pretty much. You got that. <laughs> anyway, Jim, what are your thoughts on this episode? 
Yeah, I you know I, I like these in search of episodes that are more historical and 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 talk about you know the history of things. You know, so we, we had a lot of different ones. You know, the 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 killer bees and 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 other ones where they 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 tell you the history of these things and how they started. And I, I like those much better than the the paranormal kind of. Yeah. Um, so so I I enjoyed this one. Right. Uh, you know, I, I really, which is it's so funny with this one because you think just by the title of it, it's going to be one of the, the lighter sort of fanciful episodes. And yet it becomes more of the historical episodes. So, so it kind of is misleading, but it makes sense. I mean, it, it covers the, the original. Yeah. The history of where, origins where it came of, from. Yeah. So, yeah. so that, so that was good. I enjoyed it. But my, my real question is in Star Trek three, <laughs> the search for Spock. Was that somehow a play on Leonard Nimoy and In Search of, and then they had the movie The Search for Spock? It well, was, that's that's why they called it The Search for Spock is because they were joking originally going to call it In Search of Spock. Yeah, that's what I was thinking. But one, they thought they might get sued if they had In Search of Spock, and also they they didn't want to do that straight on. But yeah, I think that, I think using Search in the title was a kind of a play or a nod to this series because the series had just I think at that point had just wrapped just a few I, I think it goes to 81 or 82 yeah, and it was 84, 83 or, or something like 84 yeah it was released in 84 but they were probably you know starting filming it clearly yeah. and, and working on it in 82 probably all right guys my other meeting I gotta drop thanks guys hey thanks Bob see, see ya ciao ciao we'll finish this up so, uh, yeah, I, I thought it was a well-done episode. I, I enjoyed it. And, uh, and I think anybody watching this would enjoy it. From, from Vlad's, from the piece about Vlad the Impaler, what, did you, what, are, the, what are the dark things that he did? Um, can you, like, was it, was it truly impaling people? Was yeah. It, so, yeah, he would impale them on, on spikes, yeah, along the road, and, and that wasn't like leave them there, right? So people would yeah. see the bodies, and they and they would say, "This is sort of like in in uh, Planet of the Apes, where they had the the bodies or whatever that were strewn out to kind of say, don't go past this point." And yeah, yeah, and, and I don't I don't think it was it, it wasn't you know unheard of during during the medieval times. You know, there was you know there's putting your head on a on a pike and right. And, and impaling the people, you know, especially because a lot of people, they, they ruled by fear and stuff. So anybody that would dare to, to go against them, you know, was made a, a very visual example of to try to, you know, keep their power. So, right. and I think according to the story, he, he did that. Uh, I think to get back at some people because he was right. kept hostage or whatever. And I can't remember exactly. It's been a no. do, you, do you remember how many? <laughs> Well, Vlad actually impaled. I mean, it sounded like it was way more than one, you know. But it was, it was. Well, obviously, he was known for it because he got the right. Well, the thing is, you could be known for it and impale three people, or you could be known yeah. for it and impale three hundred people. And I just, I never got a, quite a read for that. But yeah, I, I'm, I'm not sure. Yeah, yeah. I'll, I'll, next time I talk to him, I'll, yeah, I'll yeah, you'll figure that out. Yeah, so just, just, just how many people? Yeah, yeah. I, I tried not to, you know. 
it makes See, a big thing out of my friendship with Vadim and Paler. It, it kind of freaks some people out. You know? Yeah, yeah. Well, and the thing is, uh, I shouldn't really be talking to you about the numbers. Our numbers guys just left. That was Bob. So <laughs> yeah, he, Bob he, Impaler would know how many people Vlad the Impaler impaled, I would assume. So. Let's see. How many people did Vlad the Impaler? What, I, what I'm impressed with is Bob can do searches without telling us what he's searching for and then give us the information. <laughs> Jim has to actually <laughs> tell us what he's doing. <laughs> well, <laughs> well. According to this article from NBC News, he is estimated to have killed eighty thousand people. So, yeah, I assume that's not impaling eighty thousand people. I assume that's in all his battles and wars and various things that he, he and his people were doing. I, I doubt that's he himself killed eighty thousand people. That would make him fairly notorious. <laughs> uh, yeah, it's said through through various means. Okay. Uh -huh. <laughs> so anyway uh just watch this episode folks and and if you want to look up vlad the impaler and find out more about him then there's certainly you can do that and certainly there's books that have been written and everything on him as well but uh but yet another interesting episode i just love how you have in this series um you know one on amelia Earhart, and i really love the one that 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 we had on, on in search of Amelia Earhart, and then you'll have one on Killer Bees, and you'll have one on Bigfoot, and then you have Dracula. It's, it's like it's this whole gamut of, of things you present, and one on the Loch Ness and UFOs. It's just really cool all the ground that they cover, and I didn't even realize how much ground these things covered, and the fact that they this one uh, visually is is uh, in very good shape, and the, the audio of it is really clear and. I, I just love that so many of them are preserved. Oh, yeah. So it, it says here that actually 20,000 people were impaled. Wow. So he, he killed 80,000 in various means, but 20,000 were impaled. So a well-deserved <laughs> nickname, not, yeah. not like yeah. he killed three people and they're like, well, we'll call him Vlad the Impaler. <laughs> it's like, yeah, no, 20,000 people. So it was his go-to method for, uh, and there were also rumors about him dipping his bread in the blood of his victims yeah yeah oh, yeah there you go well and and uh i'm sure about ten thousand in he's like they got to be coming up with a nickname for me soon i mean come on how many more people do i have to do and then at some point they call him vlad the impaler he's like okay now i can stop because they gave me a, a good nickname here but uh yeah and the townspeople were probably like can't you come up with some other way of killing people? Yeah. You always have to be impaling. That's right. And can't you clean up your mess? I mean, these people are all stuck on all these. I mean, you know, having five people on spikes is one thing. Having uh, having 10,000 up, going up the street, it's like, how about if we put in some lights or something instead of that? It's just be more attractive and attract more tourism, I would think. But yeah. it's, it says that, that uh, somebody was invading him. And as they were coming in with their army to invade him, they see thousands of people uh, impaled with yeah. their rotting bodies on these these yeah. spikes with crows 
eaten, pulling apart the body. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And they they changed their mind and turned around and went back. I could see that. I could <laughs> it's see like, yeah, yeah, we don't want to deal with this. How person. it would kind of work as a deterrent. <laughs> so. Yeah, it's like this person's pretty pretty serious. Um, no, we're not even going to try to conquer. We're not going to deal with him. Yeah, so exactly. Yeah, pretty uh, pretty messed up dude. <laughs> Yeah, and what? So, and what time frame do we have that he lived? I'm trying to remember that. Uh, in the late 1400s, looks okay. like. Okay. Okay. Yeah, I was going to say it seemed like a long time ago. So. Yeah, mid mid to late 1400s, 1460s, 1470s, yep. stuff like that. So, anyway, great episode, and uh, keep tuning in as we bring you more uh, from Leonard Nimoy and In Search, and we'll see you guys next time. Thank you, Jim. Oh, you're welcome. Near Innsbruck stands a monument to perversity. Castle Ambras, occupied during the 16th century by Archduke Ferdinand, harbors one of the most terrifying portrait galleries in the civilized world. Painted from life, these grotesqueries reflect the offbeat tastes of the collector. In this gallery of the bizarre are images of those maimed in battle or deformed by nature. One portrait seems curiously out of place. It's that of a king who ruled not in Austria, but in a land to the east, now called Romania. His brutality earned him the nickname Vlad the Impaler. His real name was Vlad Dracula. Centuries later, Dracula's name and the land he lived in would be used to create a character so unredeemed by human qualities that we still recoil in fascination at his fiendish exploits. Search for the truth behind the legend. This series presents information based in part on theory and conjecture. The producer's purpose is to suggest some possible explanations, but not necessarily the only ones, to the mysteries we will examine. Horror has a special fascination for many, and filmmakers have done their best to exploit that fascination. Audiences have come to know Dracula well. They've seen him portrayed on the screen for more than 50 years. There's the black cape, the jutting canine teeth, the demonic eyes and nocturnal lust for blood. But what of the truth behind the legend?
Romania is a land rich in romantic folklore and legends. The tale of the evil Count Dracula is not one of them. The rugged mountains and hidden valleys breed their own mythology. Called Romania's Olympus, Mount Ceflau rises nearly 6,000 feet in the Carpathian Mountains. In pre-Christian times, it was believed to be the home of the gods. Each year, even now, on the first Sunday of August, a pagan ritual is reenacted. Thousands gather by torchlight on Cheflau's shadowy summit to celebrate friendship and love and the renewal of life. During the rest of the year, Cheflau yields its mysteries to few men. Dr. George Yakumi is a surgeon who climbs mainly for adventure. The other, a shepherd, who has spent a lifetime in these alpine meadows. Both know the mountain and its hidden places. Both respect its awesome symbolic power. Though one is a simple peasant, the other a man of science, the mountain has given them a strong bond of friendship. They exchange stories of ancient superstitions of dark, frightening corners where no one has yet ventured. The music seems to recall a distant time in these mountains when ghosts inhabited Cheflau. Legends tell of a 15th century nobleman named Budu who loved the king's daughter, Anna. When he was killed in battle, the grief-stricken Anna asked the powerful witch to bring her lover back from the dead. The witch raised Budu from his grave, but as a ghost. While passing over Cheflau, Budu's ghost was struck by the rising sun, turning him into rock. Till this day, on Cheflau's brooding summit, there is a stone megalith known as Budu's Tower. In the nightmare world of superstition and fear, it often becomes difficult to separate fact from fiction. The familiar story of Dracula is a case in point. Since its publication in 1897, Bram Stoker's classic novel of gothic horror has been read or performed almost continuously. Yet few are aware that the character was based on a real prince of darkness, whose deeds are perhaps more shocking and more terrifying than those of the fictional vampire. Transylvania, stronghold of legend. A place dimly recalled from horror movies as a dark, forbidding region cloaked in superstition and terror. Here, according to popular myth, live the undead, the dreaded vampires who thrive on human blood. Dracula, written by Bram Stoker, perpetuated one myth that has endured for nearly a century. Along Transylvania's southern perimeter stands Castle Braun. In appearance, it corresponds to the castle described in the novel as the home of the bloodthirsty Count. 
Haunted by his own childhood visions of threatening forests and spooky castles, Bram Stoker created an eerie world that became more than just a horrifying journey into the supernatural. It was also a parable of Victorian repression. Locked inside Castle Dracula's dark walls were hidden passions and secret longings which erupted into violence and terror. German film classic Nosferatu comes closer to capturing the mood of the original novel than the later interpretation of Bela Lugosi. In the book, the hero Jonathan Harker describes his first encounter with Dracula. Holding out his hand, he grasped mine with a strength which made me wince, an effect which was not lessened by the fact that it seemed as cold as ice. Taking Transylvania, a remote place he'd heard of but never seen, as his setting, Stoker evoked chilling images of the living dead. Under the shroud of darkness, the fiendish apparition risen from its coffin begins to stalk its human prey. nightmare becomes reality. The unknown clutches at our throats. The shrieking of the vampire bat evokes the horror of Dracula. Night-flying hunters, they prey mainly on cattle. But one strange fact stands out. The vampire bat is found only in Mexico and South America. Modern Romanians stubbornly deny the existence of vampire legends. from an old fairy tale, the town of Sigishora slumbers peacefully along the gentle slopes of the Transylvanian highlands. Unchanged since the Middle Ages, Sigishora was once a bastion of Germanic military might and commercial enterprise. In this house in 1431, a son was born to the fearsome prince Vlad Dracul, the dragon. The boy was called Dracula, son of the dragon. A coin bearing the family emblem is one of the few remaining artifacts from Dracula's reign. The symbol of the dragon reinforced Vlad's image as a fearless Christian crusader. As his notoriety grew, the name Dracula took on new meaning. Dragon would be increasingly interpreted as devil. Vlad belonged to an age of brutality. The Renaissance, which saw the rebirth of art and learning, also bred new tyrannies, unspeakable torture and oppression. To understand Vlad's cruelty, 
we must also understand his world. The nunnery at Suchevitsa was originally a fortified monastery, protected by walls 20 feet high and 10 feet thick. The traditional woodblock, summoning nuns and monks to prayer, may at one time have also been a summons to battle. For the monasteries of Romania were more than strongholds of the Christian faith. They were part of a formidable defense perimeter to ward off invaders. It's likely that the young Dracula looked out from the battlements of such a monastery, watching men die in the brutal spectacle of war. Steeped in the teachings of the Eastern Orthodox Church, Vlad Dracula surely must have developed strong, simple notions of good and evil, of reward and retribution. The ladder of virtues, the work of an unknown artist, shows that in the climb toward heaven, few are virtuous enough to reach it. Most topple along the way, headed toward eternal damnation. To a young prince, impressionable and bristling for power, such messages were clear. By punishing evil, salvation could be had. Until the 16th century, Suceva was the capital of the province of Moldavia. Here, Vlad Dracula fled, deposed after briefly assuming the throne of Wallachia at the age of 17. This was the beginning of his second exile. The first time, he'd been sent as a hostage to the Turkish court by his father, a guarantee against war with the Sultan. As Vlad waited in Suceva to take power, he vowed to free Wallachia from Turkish domination and break the power of the nobles and church. In 1456, the second reign of Vlad Dracula began. The greatest threat to his power centered in the German towns of southern Transylvania. Of these, Brasov was the largest. Convinced that her powerful merchants were conspiring with his enemies, Furious at the defiance of his trade restrictions, Vlad launched a series of punitive raids against Brasov and neighboring towns, taking a terrible toll of their citizens. How many perished by his command, no one can say. That slow, torturous death by impalement was excessively barbaric, no one can deny. Yet since the only written accounts from that time come from Germany, it's conceivable the atrocity reports were exaggerated. Not so the massacre at Turgovisti, Vlad's capital. During his successful campaign against the Turks, he impaled thousands of enemy soldiers outside the city gates to frighten the invaders. He would be known now for all time as Vlad the Impaler. Viewed through the filter of time, Another side to Vlad's character emerges. His bold strategies won the admiration of his Turkish opponents, who also regarded him as just and honest. On the threshold of victory, he was betrayed by his younger brother, Radu, and forced into political captivity in Hungary. After 12 years, Vlad was restored to the throne by his cousin, Stephen the Great. 
faces from the present. A few among the million and a half who live in Bucharest, Romania's bustling capital. In their city, Vlad the Impaler made his last stand. Not far from the center of Bucharest, with its huge outdoor markets, are archaeological remnants of its past. Layers of history, stripped away, reveal fortifications dating back to the 13th century. Below ground level, there has been unearthed a portion of the original castle built by Vlad Dracula. It was in these haunted surroundings that Dracula planned his last campaign against the Turks. His third and final reign would last only two months. On December 14, 1476, he was killed in battle near Bucharest. And according to eyewitnesses, beheaded, perhaps mistakenly, by one of his own troops. Vlad's remains were secretly buried at Snagov. In death's darkness, the prince may finally have found peace. Legends die slowly. The myth of the human being who takes the form of a bat and drinks blood will survive because people choose to believe. Vampires, like werewolves and monsters, serve a purpose. They are representations of our hidden fears. By conquering these nightmare creatures, we purge ourselves of our darkest thoughts and in so doing, reclaim the human spirit.